You're listening to the Mind Takeaway podcast with your hosts Mira and Peter. In our quest to help create a world without inequality, poverty and war, we share insights gained through our work about leadership, psychology and creativity. You will also hear conversations with ordinary people who do extraordinary things due to their increased awareness, curiosity and intuition, plus their deep connection with others. Hello, everyone. We're pleased to be with Sheila Lord. Welcome, Sheila. Hi, Peter. Hi, Mira. Thanks for having me. Hi. Welcome. So you're the director of BMR Health and Wellbeing, and you're also a podcaster as well. And your podcast, correct me if I'm wrong, is um, about... Psych- psychological health and safety in the UK, is that right? That's absolutely right, yes, yeah, yeah. We talk a lot about um, psychological health and about taking a risk-based approach um, to workplace mental health. And can you tell me a little bit more, so what does BMR do? What does your business do? So we're basically aim to be a one provider all of your well-being needs, okay? Um, so we work with organisations to look at what is it they're actually trying to achieve with a workplace wellbeing program? Um, and how is what they're currently doing um, in terms of their strategy, be it um, you know, some of the more common strategies like mental health first aid, employee assistance programs, how is that delivering results for them? How is that giving them what it is they're trying to achieve? Um, and then often with some of those types of approaches, um, there are elements that are still missing because mm-hmm. those types of approaches tend to be um, reactive in nature. So we're only dealing at this point when we've got people that have become ill mm-hmm. um, through either stress at work or through stress at home. Um, and it's at that point we're dealing with illness. And if we compare that to physical safety, that's like not having a guardrail on the stairs and just putting first aiders at the bottom to kind of patch people up and send them off to hospital mm-hmm. uh, when they've broken the leg because they fell off the staircase. Um, so it's about really working with businesses to understand look, what is it that you want to do? What is it that you're trying to achieve? Um, and how is what you're doing today getting you there? And if it's not, let's look at addressing some of those gaps um, so you can get to where you want to be. Yeah, it's it's interesting you say that, uh, and and I was thinking I was hoping we were going to touch that subject, and I'm I'm really happy that it's it's on the very beginning. It's like what what your business actually is. Um, we get to speak to leaders and 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 business uh, uh, business leaders, CEOs, and and there's lots of pressure over there on the company, on them personally as well to make uh, decisions about improving mental health in, in, in the company and, and bringing stuff in, but then they really actually don't know what to do. I mean, that's not, that there's so many other things that is their work that there is so much, sometimes they don't know what to do. Sometimes, um, what if I make a mistake? Sometimes it's, I really don't have capacity for this. You know, we'll do it later. And so it, it's really, really great that, that that's what you mentioned on the very beginning. So thank you. Absolutely. And you're absolutely right. You know, there is pressure on leaders and a lot of people don't know where to start with workplace mental health. So they'll tend to follow what 
other people are doing. So it might be mental health first aid. You know, what is the current trend in, in workplace well-being? And, you know, we mentioned it just before we started the podcast. We forget that we're human beings once we step into a work culture. Mm. Okay. And how do we look after our mental health when we're with friends? How do we look after our mental health when we're with family? We talk. We're empathetic. We support each other. We look out for each other. And we create an environment, say, within our homes, most of the time, depending if you've got a lot of kids running around, but we've, we create an environment in our homes that we're comfortable being in. Mm-hmm. Yet when we go into the workplace, we forget all of that human-centred um, focus that we have outside of the work environment. And we think that there's some different weird science when it comes to creating a similar culture in the workplace and it isn't it's just don't leave the human being at the front door take them into the office with you and create a culture of empathy of safety where people want to speak out where people feel encouraged and supported and treat your employees treat your company as you would your family as you would your customers Mm-hmm. because yeah, yeah. you know and there's not just the pressure on the leaders what i think one of the common things that we see is that there's this um misconception by a lot of leaders that they have to fix everybody's mental health so they have to go around triaging lots of stressed people yeah. and that isn't actually the case so when it comes to workplace mental health there's a shared responsibility mm-hmm. so as individuals we have responsibility to take ownership of our own mental health. So let's create the right circumstances in our life where we can. Life is always going to throw us ups and downs. There's always going to be curveballs. So we need to be able to recognise and understand that in ourselves and be aware of our triggers, be aware of when we're feeling down and being aware of the things that we can do as individuals to keep ourselves mentally well. And then in the workplace, we need to have this you know, this culture where we're able to do that. And and leaders, you know, if there's something in the workplace that's stressing um, you out, Mira, say you're really busy, you've got workload on, you've got pressures going on at home and the family, would you as an employer want to create an environment where Mira can come and say, I'm really struggling right now Mm -hmm. and I could just do with a little bit of support. It's temporary, it's a blip, but please can you take some of this off me, okay? Amira is just about to really drop a a big clanger on a big, important project. And because you've reached out that and got that support, that got picked up, that mistake never happened. Yeah. And I'm I'm just generalizing here. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, if by doing nothing, we're leaving ourselves and our businesses open to mistakes, to errors, um, you know, to reductions in productivity in terms of people you know with mm. people leaving the business there's just so many things that can go wrong if we don't create this culture um, of, a, of a basically being a good place to work yeah it's being the place where you actually want to be and spend your time mm. i mean we forget that uh, that we spend i mean Half of our lifetime in work, and 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 with your colleagues, and 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 if you don't feel like you can be yourself and 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 have support, I mean, it's a huge load and huge um, 
and, and this is where mistakes are happening. That's mm. <laughs> and, you know going back to that, that the piece that you were just saying there before about you know managers don't know what to do. Mm. One of the things that gets me, so we, you know, I hear again, um, lots of people do engagement surveys, so it comes back, highlights areas, mm. uh, opportunities for improvement, mm. and people look at it and they go either go, oh, don't really know how to do that. Let's put it in the drawer and do the survey next month or next year and see if it's any better. Why not get the survey and then discuss the results of the survey with the employees that gave you the information? Mm. Why don't you then ask the employees that gave you the information what they feel are the corrective actions, what what they feel are the changes that are needed in the design of work to be able to improve the work environment. And that's really where we focus in, um, in terms of what we do. It's about identifying through survey tools, done anonymously, what are the workplace factors that are contributing Mm. to people being impacted on their well-being? When we identify that there is a work factor that's impacting the well-being, we need to understand how severely that happened, that that impact is, and how long it lasts for, yeah, and how often it's occurring. Mm. Once we understand that and we can get a picture of that, then we can go, do you know what? Actually, we've got things to sort out in the workplace, but the biggest factor at the moment is... um, it might be uh, role clarity, mm. for example, in a specific department, okay? So we can fix that. We know how we can fix something around role clarity. Yet in another department in the same organisation, that might be co-worker support or interpersonal relationships. That requires a different manager in a different area doing a different thing. So we need to get very specific in terms of understanding what's going on with our business. And the only way we can do that is to ask people <laughs> to listen to what we're told yeah. and then to put corrective actions in place. And I, I often use the, phrase, the question, you know, if a customer came to you and told you that they weren't happy, what would you do? Mm. You'd look to get to the root cause yeah. of why the customer is unhappy with the product or service and you go to work on fixing it. It's the same principle. You know what? I'm glad you've said that because one of the questions I was like, "Ooh, that, you've, you've already answered that." So well done. <laughs> no, it, but, but I'm not surprised because I know we've had a chat offline before, right? And I, I've got a good idea what your business does. But it's great and it's heartwarming to hear that because quite often, and even in the last company I worked for, I won't mention who it was because it was a big international company. But sadly, they, as you said, they spent millions on engagement surveys. They have a employee support line. That they have a coach. You know. On the outside surface level, it looks amazing. But then, you know, you probably notice this when you go in and speak to, you know, potential clients. Sometimes there's no uptake. There's low trust, low psychological safety, and no surprise. Sadly, people haven't even got the courage or they don't feel comfortable even using the EPS line. Because guess what? As you said, no one ever went, ah, okay, if it's coming up in the survey that, you know, the managers are not supporting me or... People don't really trust what's going on right now because there's shifts in the business. Wouldn't you think they would go and ask the employees, okay, so what would we, what what can we do together? You know, let's mm-hmm. let's let's tackle some of these key things that keep coming up. And then sadly, these businesses, and it's in it's innocently sometimes, but I'm always wondering, why would you put so much time and investment in a solution 
but without checking in with the employees first, because surely that's just a lot of damage in terms of having to reverse correct, you know, course correct it. And I've seen people sadly even having to switch the fault and start from zero again, you know? Yeah. I think that goes back to, to the question uh, Myra raised earlier about leaders not necessarily knowing what to do. Mm. And I think sometimes we know we need to do something yeah. as, a, as a business leader. And believe me, I've been there. I've got this wrong on so many levels, so many times as a manager in business. I've done it. I've done it the wrong way there, which is why I know which is a better way, you know, where I'm doing yeah. what I'm doing now. Because believe me, I've done everything wrong. Absolutely everything that you could possibly do wrong, I've done it. Um, and, you know, it's this not knowing what to do. And, and then once you've started down a path, how do we come back? And, you, and you're right, you know, there's, a lot of these programs have relatively low uptake. You know, we get people say, well, I've got a coffee, a well-being coffee morning on, but nobody comes because they're all too busy. Yeah. And and it's like in any relationship, as human beings, we only have some very, very basic needs. Yeah. But some of that is to be listened to, yeah. to be valued, mm-hmm. um, and to be empowered to have control of our own destiny. Mm-hmm. So if you do those three simple things. Listen to your employees, give them a voice. Mm. I'll ask them a question, listen, respond. Mm-hmm. You won't be able to give them everything. Yeah, some of the stuff they're just going to have to, you know, accept that certain things are the way of work. And maybe it's about, you know, actually looking at a strengths-based approach with yeah. an individual. That that person's strengths are not aligned to a job role, but guess what? They might be somewhere else within the organisation, exactly. give people more of what they're good at, work to their strengths you can get great results, you know? Um, but often the people that are doing the job know what needs to be done to fix it. Mm. And if it's, you know, people get frustrated in work because of inefficiencies in processes, because of yeah. because of poor relationships. Now, all of those factors, inefficiency in processes and poor relationships will have an impact on productivity. Mm. So you're actually in a win-win. If you listen and you engage and you empower and you fix things, you're not only improving workplace stress, you're improving workplace performance, mm-hmm. relationships, mm-hmm. productivity. That's it. And you're going to increase your top line, right? Just but as you say, you know, I used to work in customer service functions, huge global functions, right, where one process change because it was a pain point for not just the clients and the customers, but obviously, the you know, these call center stuff. And one shift like that, because suddenly someone listened, people's stress levels just dropped. I could, you know, you could sense it literally overnight. So as soon as they were like, look, we're going to do a change piece. We've implemented it. And there was this collective sigh of relief. Mm-hmm. And as you say, I mean, it, it it looks quite difficult, but it's just about listening, right? And having the courage to go, okay, is that really true? Let, let's, quant- let's look at the data. Let's have a chat, you know, about it. And if we can do it, why would we not? But sadly, I was going to ask you, why do you think many businesses still, why does it elude them? Is it is it to do with fear? I don't really know. I think there's a fear element, certainly. I think, you know, people, but again, it's the stigma, isn't it, that's attached to stress. And I think managers are scared of it. I think when you say mental health, everyone goes, oh, oh dear. Um, what you know mm. I'm dealing with crazy people and, and I'm dealing with schizophrenic and I don't know how to manage people's stress and again I've been there I've been completely guilty of having that same approach because I misunderstood um, mm. mental 
health. And, and like a lot of people, used to associate mental health with mental yeah. ill health. Um, so I think it's the fact that, you know, we just, we have a mind block when it comes to workplace mental health. It's Again, it goes back to this. We forget we're human beings. Mm. We were talking about this, weren't we, about, you know, being corporate on a podcast or just yeah. being yourself. <laughs> and, and, you know, we turn into these funny little corporate entities that, we're trying to become robots that we're not. So just be a sympathetic human being, have empathy. Some of the best leaders I've worked for have been very empathetic people. And you can lead and have empathy yeah. um, and still be a strong a strong leader um, and create, you know, great organisations. Um, and I think we just need to kind of get back to putting the human back into the workplace and really having these human-centred approaches. Mm. We're definitely all for that, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm listening to you now, and, and it looks like um, mental health is somehow like a fifth wheel or or, 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 a, or a third wheel on a bicycle. It's, um, it's like it's still separated from the organizations, from the and – I, and I think what, what – Kind of maybe you know I'm thinking in the in the way of what are the uh, uh, problems that arise you know apart from pr productivity and uh, um, that arise when people are doing it wrong when people are, when companies are doing it wrong when they're not asking questions when mm -hmm. they start a program that they think is a solution or just to tick the box. And then they don't actually engage with people, don't they don't ask questions, like what are the dangers of it? I think the danger is that people hear that, or they see that they don't have a wellbeing strategy mm. and that others do. Mm. And they just go, wellbeing strategy, let's do some of that. Yeah. But let's stop before you start going off Ask yourself, why? Why am I doing it? What is going on mm. in my organisation that needs addressing? So have you got high absence rates? Have you got um, uh, lots of quality problems with the product or the service? Have you got lots of customer complaints? You know, uh, Customers might be ringing up and complaining about service and, and just having a really disengaged member of staff not supporting them. So what is going on within your organisation? Why do you need to have a well-being strategy? Mm. Okay. And then, okay, so, if, you know, if it's any of those things, be it absenteeism, high attrition rates, we can recruit staff, but we can't keep them, mm -hmm. you know? Why are they leaving? Again, ask questions. In, in no other element of business that I've really ever come across, would you go out and allocate budget and a shed load of money yeah. to somebody to go and spend without knowing why they were spending it, the effect and impact it was going to have, how it was going to be measured, and what the um, how it's going to meet the outcome that's required. Again, because it's mental health, yeah. we mm. park all of the logic that we'd normally apply and, and, and put it into this box of, ooh, don't really know about that one. Mm. So... You know, go back. You can look at the numbers. Yeah, look at your attrition numbers. Look at what you're spending on recruitment. 
look at how many people are off sick. Mm. There's financial ways to measure this mm. and, and then tell yourself whether you've got scope for a well-being budget. If you're looking for something that's going to yield immediate results, mm. you, well, that's you, you're barking right. up the wrong tree. Yeah, I mean, mm. when you, I mean, a good starting point, and many of the organisations that we see have real pain points, is usually the good place to start is, as you said, it's to do with attrition. Because if there's high attrition, there's usually some problem and it could be process. Usually it's to do with management, let's be honest. And then, you know, when you dig a bit deeper, you could see patterns. And it can sometimes be one area, one function, one department, you know, or or sadly in some organisations, it could be the whole thing. Yeah. And sometimes it can be down to one person. Yeah. I, so, you exactly, know, there's yeah. so many different variables yeah. and it's so different from one organization to the next from one department potentially mm-hmm. to the next and you know we talk about mental health and workplace well-being and all of these different words that we use in um, around mental health but you know let's change the narrative because what is it ultimately it's about the culture yeah it's the workplace culture do we have a good culture do we have a toxic culture do we have a toxic culture there's probably some workplace mental health issues going on. Mm-hmm. If we have a good culture, we've got a great culture, people love coming to work, probably a high level of psychological safety. Yeah. And I think we overcomplicate it. I'm just curious, so I could ask you, what would you say? Because I, I always say to companies as well, when they say things are great, and, and sometimes we work with companies and things are good, right? But I'm always like, well, now's the time to implement this stuff because actually... It's, you know, it's something you're always going to have to be working on, always going to be aware of. And what's to say that suddenly something happens in the organisation and it goes in a completely opposite direction? Because what do you think about that? Because I often see companies, again, innocently, and sometimes it's a blind spot where they say, well, I don't need that because we're actually good. We don't have high turnover. We're doing great. And I'm like, hmm, okay. Not to, you know, shit on your bonfire, pardon my French, but it's like... <laughs> Wouldn't you like to keep that going? And wouldn't you like to implement stuff and really concentrate on mental health and well-being right now? And that way, you're not going to go off the rails, right? Mm. Yeah. Absolutely. And, it, it, and it, this is where it comes back to, again, the approaches that we take. And uh, it's about having a systemic approach yeah. to what you're doing. So, you know, taking that example, one of the first things I would say is, who said it was great? The manager? Mm. Yeah? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, is it the leader? What are your employees saying? Yeah. If you give them an anonymous voice, what would they be saying? And who's listening? Yeah. So I think there's always there's always going to be levels of disconnect through the layers in an organization. Um, and then I, I you know I would actually throw that back to somebody and say, why do you have auditors, financial auditors? Uh, why do you have quality control? Mm. Why do you have customer satisfaction scales? Mm. Because you want to have a framework that keeps your business on track and without quality control, without um, your finances, um, without your customers, you've not got a business. And guess what? Without employees, you don't have a business either. Um, so there's, you know, we talked about it before, there's loads of great terms banded around employees are your greatest assets. You know, we hear all of this all the time mm. and it's true. You know, not assets as such, because, again, let's take it back from being an asset to being a more human-centred approach. But, um, you know, employees are a vital part of your organisation. They're driving your business forward every single day. Mm. And, um, you know, the job market is shifting. Mm. 
and the companies are struggling to keep hold of staff. It's definitely an employee's market right now because, as you say, there's so many things that now companies are finally listening and realising that they need to have these. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure you'll know this, right, but some companies, they band it around being like a bonus or it's like a what do you call it, an employee perk? And I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Mental health is not a perk to working for this company, right? What, what do you think Absolutely. about that? Well, to put it into context, it's not a perk. It's a legislative requirement. Yeah. In the UK, there is a legal requirement for organisations that have a duty of care to look after the health, safety and welfare of all employees. It's clear. It's in the Health and Safety at Work Act. Mm. And that Safety piece gets done really well. We've got our physical risk assessments, but what about the mental health risk assessments? And again, people think, well, I'm not doing that because nobody's really going to pick me up on it and um, nobody's really regulating it and I don't know how to do it. You know what really crossed my mind now when you were saying this? Uh, It looks like that we are really good at looking at things and fixing things that are visible like if you break your leg you know it's visible you go to the doctor and and you know there's certain things that we do but mental health is often invisible and and there is lots of ideas about it and some of them are good some of them aren't and it just makes me think um you know there's this story that one of our mentors mentioned a few years ago of um how do you how, you know, when germs were invisible, we didn't know what to do about them. We didn't know what to, how to protect ourselves from them. We didn't know that, you know, before going to surgery, you need to wash your hands and put gloves and put a mask or, you know, all of that. And there's so much danger. People were dying because we did not know that germs exist until somebody uh, discovered them and made them visible to us. And then he said in one uh, school class, teacher uh, put the glitter on kids' hands or just on one kid. And then after the class hours, they uh, they all reassessed and said, where, where, are, where is the glitter now? And they realized that everybody's got glitter on them. And so that glitter made uh, germs visible to, to little kids. So I wonder how can we what are the visible signs? How can we present this mental well-being, mental health, uh, uh, mental health safety, you know, into into being something that it's visible to people so that we can actually know what to do? So that's a really, really good question. And what I would say to that is having this framework in place and having this very systemic and risk-based approach. So you've got this risk management principles, yeah? Um, So, you know, constantly, like you would a risk assessment Mm. for physical health, you know, so you've got a construction site, yeah? And you've got, you know, people on site, people moving around, working at heights, whatever. You'd go, you'd do an assessment, you'd assess the work environment, and you would say, oh, looks a bit, this looks like an accident could happen. So does this, so does this. You'd present that in a plan. You'd have some improvement activities. Maybe that's extra training. Maybe that's um, protective equipment. Uh, maybe it's changing the way that the job is actually done mm-hmm. because it's it's quite dangerous that way. But there's another way of doing it. And not only is it more is it more safe. That's not even English, is it? Uh, not 
only is it safer, but actually it's more efficient. Okay. So take that logic and apply it in exactly the same way to mental health. Evaluate the work environment. What are the factors that are contributing to your, that are having an impact, a negative impact on your well-being? All of a sudden we've identified the hazard. Mm-hmm. Then like we would do when we were on a building site, well, what's the impact of doing nothing? Mm-hmm. Um, what's the impact of doing a little? What's the impact of doing something more fundamental? So we identify it. We then assess it. Then we decide what control measures we're going to put in place, like we would. So is it extra training? Is it resilience training? Is it changing shift patterns? Is it limiting exposure to um, violent, drunk people that might come into A&E over mm. the weekend and having shorter shifts on the front desk? could be any of those things. So we put the control measures in place, and then we go back and we reassess. Did the control measures that we put in place have the desired impact? And did it help to reduce the impact, the negative impact on staff well-being? Mm-hmm. And then you go again. And it's a continuous process done at, con- mm-hmm. done at, at, at various levels across the organisation mm-hmm. um, because it's constantly evolving. And going back to your, your question earlier, Peter, about, you know, um, I can't remember what it was now, you know, about who's saying it's great and oh, I don't necessarily need to do this because it's it's mm. great in my organisation right now. Mm. We all know how fast our world changes, yeah? Mm. And you look at, you know, let's give an example of uh, Brewdog. It's quite a controversial one, yeah? But up until, you know, the leaking of certain documents um, across social media and different news outlets, you know, Brewdog were making a really positive name for themselves. You know, they'd had these, you know, these really kind of great marketing campaigns. And then all of a sudden, that fall in terms of perception of uh, reputation was was quite a, you know, it was quite a big one. Um, so, yeah, if we don't have these systems in place to keep an ongoing quality temperature check on our culture, and our organisation and our staff, it can run away from us very, very quickly. Yeah. Yeah. Great, great. I mean, I'm just thinking, yeah, just because it's not visible and it's not a problem right in this moment, it doesn't mean that things cannot happen. So you really need to take the, I mean, we already have approaches uh, of assessment uh, there for other things. So it's, it's really just knowing who can help you with that. Yeah, and again, it's it's about educating the workforce. You know, everybody's got a shared responsibility for this. So let's work together to create these happy workplaces. Because yeah. you know, as you said before, Mira, you know, we're in work eight hours a day, ten hours a day, twelve hours a day. We're in work for a long time. So it's in everybody's best interest that that's a nice place to be. You know what? I'm glad you said that because we were in a, a session at the weekend. Oh, with yeah. a wonderful group of mental health experts and innovators in 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 the Berlin area, and we actually did an exercise in breakout groups, and it was really good because we, you know, you got to do it in person during COVID, and it's quite a novelty to do that, you know, <laughs> with the risks. And but anyway, what it was about was um, looking, you know, stepping into certain views, and then you know, playing devil's advocate, really, just putting yourself in the shoes of, you know, the CEOs, like, well, it's not my responsibility. But funny enough, in this comment that I was the only one that was step- standing by it because 
I didn't see that as negative. And the way I read it was that the CEO saying, well, it's not me that's responsible. We're all responsible. And, and correct me if I'm wrong, if I see an organization saying, look, we've all got a vested interest. It's all of our responsibility, you know, to put your hand up. But also for me as the leader to create a, you know, a safe, open space for that dialogue, you know, so it's more like to, to be a facilitator and allow that discussion. And like you said, if if you're not already asking your employees, or or weirdly enough, I worked for so many companies, and again, I won't name them, where they did employee survey after employee survey. They had all the data and all of the answers were sitting there. And everyone in different functions and departments, and I was a manager at the time, and it was annoying for me because we were saying in meetings, look, we all know what the elephant of the room is. Let's address it. Why aren't we saying that to the employees that we know what it is? We've got your back. We're going to discuss it. There's no problem, you know, probably no silver bullet, but let's start, as you say, systemically looking at the data because it's, there's a ground swell of information. But I still see companies sitting on that data, which is strange for me because they're investing a hell of a lot of time and money to have those mechanisms in place. But for whatever reason, I know we touched on it. There's still not that enough momentum or fear or, you know, there's still blind spots there that stops them from taking action. Because we, we say to clients a lot, they're like, what, you know, we say to them, well done, you're aware now, which is brilliant. You know, because you hear it banded around in psychology, awareness is everything. I'm like, no, it's not. Awareness is step one. Step two is taking action, right? Action, yeah, <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. And you're right, you know, leadership it's not down to one single role or one single person within an organisation. However, leadership does need to own it because without their commitment yeah. and without their backing, we've got no resource. Mm -hmm. We've got no time. We've got no money and we've got no people. Because again, you know, we can't embark on wellbeing initiatives mm -hmm. um, for the workplace or culture change or whatever it is you want to call it without somebody to drive that you know you can't go oh we're going to release a great new product i just expect it to appear without a project mm -hmm. team driving that forward and without the and senior management it doesn't give it credibility right so people might be absolutely. like oh that's great but why are they not talking about why is it not rubber stamped from the leadership team and we see yeah, that quite well, often right we're like okay they paid for it but suddenly they feel uncomfortable not to say you know, we're excited about this. Let's mm. go together. Let's look at this as a community. Because you, you said it before, right? It's it, the employees that look at, I mean, I wouldn't say family, but it's okay to say that. But I see great companies as more of a community. There's an active yeah, response, you know, there's collaboration. You can see that with high trust, high psychological safety. As you say, people feel like they're empowered to have an interest in themselves. You know, that it's there's a safe enough environment where if something goes wrong, like you're saying, it's out the blue that suddenly, you know, they, they get divorced. They have, you know, sadly the child's super sick and they have to take time off, that they've got the courage and they're safe enough to say to the manager, look, I'm just having a bad week. Can we talk about, you know, I need a bit more flexible shift and this is happening. Mm -hmm. And sadly, when we speak to employees, quite often we hear that they haven't even got the environment where they can even put the hand up and take time off like even ask to have their own holiday that they're entitled to and i'm like wow okay but <laughs> you know what i'm hearing from what you said just now it looks to me that there is a low psychological safety and there is a big impact on mental health in leadership uh, uh, mm. teams as well and so mm. 
Yeah, I mean, you get, there's a mix, isn't there, out there? There are some organisations that are just getting this absolutely right mm-hmm. all the time. You know, there's some fantastic organisations out there. Um, and I think for those that aren't or those that are shying away from it, mm-hmm. I think it's fear that sits at the root of, yeah. of that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I hear a lot, oh, well, you know, we get involved in this. We'll, have, uh, we'll, just, we'll just be opening the door for people to be off sick with stress all the time. That's a, that's a common one yeah. that, that I hear. And, I, and you know, the, my response to that is people are doing it already. Mm. Yeah. Mm. And people are off sick, probably with stress, but they've told you that they've got a headache or they've mm. got a bad back or that, um, you know, the hamster's died or whatever. But they're having a duvet day. They're having a well-being day, self-care day, whatever that may be. Mm. But actually, as an employer, if you introduce those types of things, if that's appropriate for your organisation, you say to people, we recognise that everybody has an off day. Mm. So we've got three duvet days. in, And that is then a benefit. You know, that's a nice perk to have mm. within your job. But again, you're creating this culture saying, you know, we know life hits you up from time to time. That might just be one of those things that you introduce. But don't fear that doing something proactive to continually improve the culture of the environment in which you and your employees work is going to make a few more people go off sick. Mm. Actually, when you say that back to yourself, yeah, it's like, does careful it really what you make sense? For, right? Yeah, it doesn't. <laughs> does it doesn't really make sense? So we have there's, these yeah, there's an innocence, mindset. isn't there? Yeah, it's it's like yeah. you can see there's the right intention, but it's actually making things worse, and it actually doesn't get you further forward in looking to provide solutions. And yeah, you know, mm-hmm. there's no silver bullet. There's not a one thing that you no. can do. It's as you say. I mean, it's systemic. There's a you know, you have to look at stuff in parallel mm-hmm. and tackle it together, right? Mm-hmm. And quite often, I see people chasing the tails because they're like, "Oh, we'll just resolve this," and yeah. then it's like uh, plugging leaks all over the organization, you know? Absolutely, and there's, and there's so much more available now to employers. So, you know, we, you know, the UK has got the Health and Safety Executive. Um, stress management standards and then what we've just had coming out in uh, June of 21 on the back of the pandemic which has been in development for the last three years was the um, new ISO standard um, ISO 45003 which sits within the occupational health um, framework of its big daddy or big mummy whichever one you want to call it its parent standard uh, 45001 and you know Lots of businesses are familiar with ISO standards. There is a global framework of how to do workplace well-being Mm. in the organisation. So where we didn't have this information before, we have now. Mm. We've got the legislation. We've got the stress management standards. We've got the global ISO standard. We have digital tools that enable that, that basically take you through the whole process and, and, and give you all the enablers that you need to be able to do this. So, you know, I don't know is not a good enough reason. I don't know how is not a good enough reason now not to do this because there is a wealth of information out there. There's a wealth of good practitioners out there. Um, There are people that can work with you well to show you a measurable um, return on what you're doing in terms of performance and in terms of finance. So, you know, this shouldn't be seen as I've got to find money to spend on well-being. Oh, that's a bit of a waste. I just write that money off. This will give you improvements in your financial standards. Because if you can reduce attrition, 
Mm. Yeah, there's a tangible ROI on that. In fact, you, absolutely. You, I just, I mean, there's not a reason for not doing it because you will actually, yeah. you know, you'll burn through more money, and and sadly, you won't be able to retain staff. In fact, that's yeah. the biggest issue I see with many organisations because we touched on it, right? That right now, if you've got good experience and you know you've cut your teeth with a few different roles, there's a lot of jobs, there's a lot of opportunity. And if you're really discerning as an employee, you can actually find, believe it or not, a, a nice place to work, you know? <laughs> so employees Absolutely. really need to wake up to the fact, you know? Yeah. No, no. And again, it's like, well, I won't be able to ransom by my employees. I've done it myself in the past. If you want to leave for an extra £2,000 a year or £3,000 a year, then you go, off you go. I've done it. Been there, bought, bought the T-shirt. And then I'm like, oh, what, eight grand recruitment cost? Are you kidding me? Yeah. Uh And then I get that person in, and I've not been trained well on how to really do recruitment very well. So I've actually gone through three people before I find the right person. And then the service to a customer has been, um, you know, less than uh, adequate because Mm -hmm. we've been going through training and then they're on and then they're off. And then other people having to pick up the slack. It's once we start to look at, financial impacts of this and really understand what's happening in our businesses leaders should you know some leaders should start to become pretty horrified mm. um, because how many clients do you have to go out mm. and bring on board yeah. to put those recruitment costs on your bottom line mm. it's it a lot and that's just recruitment you know the uk stats say that the numbers that Deloitte produced it's on average it's 1700 pounds per employee is the average cost of mental health in the UK. Or uh, per per month, per year, per... Per year, per, per year, year, per year, yeah. Oh, yeah. Right. Um, you do the math, you add it up, it's a lot of money. <laughs> it's a lot of money. It's a lot of money. Um, so, yeah, the, you know, there's a there's a, a moral case to doing this, the human element. We're getting more and more um, from a... ESG and a CSR perspective, Mm -hmm. the social element is picking up a lot more traction now. And the companies are being held to be more accountable for this. The HSE have got their awareness campaign that's kicked off as well with the Working Minds campaign. Um, So there's a lot of action taking place. Um, And the HSE, you know, are, are starting to really get behind this in terms of regulatory practices as well. So um, you know, they look at stress as a contributing factor mm. if there are accidents, you know. Mm. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of reasons for doing this and for doing it right and not just as a tick box exercise. If you tick in a box, save your money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just don't, better don't do it. Don't, don't, just you, don't do it. Because all you do more. is you can... You create more negativity. Yeah, great. Mm -hmm. Well done for saying that because we we need to be saying that more openly because Mm -hmm. there's just no point. Keep the money in your pocket, you know. And and, and don't make the damage because I think lots of toxicity can come from it if it's not done with the right purpose in mind. Uh, people can feel it and it can create well, even even more toxic environments. You know, we've worked with leaders when companies have made that mistake. And and it turned an already challenging and already semi-toxic environment into an absolute devastation storm, you know. And it, and it's a lot more to cause crap because everything needs to be looked at then. And and like we talked about earlier, you almost have to reset the clock again and go, okay, well that didn't work. 
And if an organization's honest enough, then they just have to drop all of that and just start again and ask their employees, as you say, survey them, what's the root causes? Okay, here we go. <laughs> yeah, and, and it, it comes back to feeling valued mm. because we know when somebody values us, yeah? Mm. Like, and I'll, I'll use that probably won't be a proper one, but, you know, you, you're with your husband, right? And he's, it's your birthday, yeah? And he comes home with a bunch of half-dead flowers from the petrol station and a box of in and out chocolates, yeah? Mm. Do you feel valued? Yeah. He comes home with a beautiful display of flowers, you know, from a really nice posh flower shop, champagne in his book to a table at a restaurant. Mm. That makes you feel more valued. The other one, he was ticking the box mm. because he couldn't be bothered to do anything more. Yeah. yeah. It's that same human-centric mm. ap- approach. Mm. People know by your actions whether what you're doing is genuine and offers real value mm. and shows a level of respect for you. Mm. And mm. as you say, it can cause more damage than good because, mm. quite frankly, I'd rather not have flowers from the petrol station. Yeah. Thank you very much. Well, that's it. My employees <laughs> notice that they're not. Yes. I mean, that's yeah. it. When the, when... Why did you not get me wine? <laughs> Exactly. At least. <laughs> yeah, come on. And then you're digging yourself a hole, right? And, and that's it. When employees start to push back and things, you know, people start to act up. And, and like mm. we said, at, at worst, you know, people start to leave and, and you're bleeding a lot of high talent. And then you've got to plug those holes by trying to replace people and, and it's just a constant feedback loop right but Absolutely. i don't want to keep you any long because i know that you have to pick the little one up so <laughs> by the way this has been great so thank you we've learned oh, a lot from this one and yeah it was good because a lot of the stuff you already covered you know we didn't really have to ask you much which is great for us easy <laughs> job you know <laughs> i can talk the high legs of the donkey <laughs> but before we close up is there anything else that you know any part of wisdom or anything you want to say that maybe we haven't covered I think I'd just go back to, you know, if I can give advice to um, business leaders is two, three things. Don't fear it. Look at what it is you're trying to achieve and why and ask yourself, what is it that I'm doing now that takes me any closer towards those, towards those goals? And if you can't come up with answers to that, you need to find yourself a good well-being consultant to talk to um, that can actually help you to address that situation specific and relevant to your business but it will take time it has to be continuous um, and you can't pay lip service to it yeah got you great well thank you thank yeah. you pleasure. you're welcome thank you you made it to the end of this episode thank you for listening are you looking for one-to-one coaching Do you want to develop your leadership skills? Would you like to improve your team's performance? Drop us an email at info at themindtakeaway.com. We would love to hear from you.